Hi, this is Jeffrey Tucker, and you're listening to the Libertarian Christian Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. You might also consider supporting this podcast by sharing it and even donating. LCI needs your help so it can continue creating great content. Welcome to the show that gets Christians thinking about faith and politics. Get ready to challenge the statist quo, expand your imagination, and tackle controversy head on. Let's stand together at the intersection of faith and freedom. It's time for the Libertarian Christian Podcast. Welcome to the Libertarian Christian Podcast, a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute. I'm Doug Stewart, and today again with me is Norman Horn, and we are going to talk about the Libertarian Christian core values. We are actually in our third part of a series where we're talking about the Libertarian Christian Institute's mission and our core values. If this is the first episode of our podcast that you are listening to, you may want to go back and listen to the previous two. It's not quite necessary. You can get all, all, if all you have time for is this one, go ahead and keep listening. That's totally fine. And don't be distracted while you're driving, if you're driving. If this is the first podcast of this series that you're listening to, you may want to go back and listen to the previous two. So what we're going to talk about today is the non-aggression principle. And let me just set this up a little bit and say that Core value number one had to do with our foundations of why we are Christian libertarians. And because we want to make the case for a free society from a Christian uh, point of view, and that is our mission is to equip the church to do that. So core value number two is we believe that a free and civil society depends on respect for the non-aggression principle. We believe that the ethics modeled by Christ in the early church call us to change the world and build the kingdom of God through service rather than force. So through persuasion rather than coercion. The use of political force to compel ethical behavior can't change hearts, and it really just antagonizes the struggle against sin, death, and evil. So as Christians, we must call for repentance from sin and humility and never with violence. And so we believe that a consistently Christian ethic always embodies non-aggression. If you've ever spent about five and a half seconds around a libertarian who's passionate about libertarianism, you will hear the word non-aggression principle, or you might hear the letters NAP, or they might even think they're really clever and say the NAP, okay, which uh, is a little too short for people who are uninitiated. So uh, the non-aggression principle is something that we want to kind of really talk about today and not really just about the non-aggression principle. We've done that in previous episodes. There's plenty of material out there about what it is, and and we'll kind of mention that. But we want to say, why do we believe in the non-aggression principle? Well, it's because a free and civil society depends on it. And there's enough about our world that we love uh, that if we didn't have the non-aggression principle or if we didn't have people abiding by it, whether they accept it in that way or not, as libertarians or not, uh, we would not have a very we would not have a very prosperous society. Well let's talk for just a second about what exactly is the non-aggression principle. I think it's I think it's worthwhile that we at least outline a basic definition of it. So the non-aggression principle is essentially a statement that says the initiation of force is wrong. That when we are interacting with other people, we are not to initiate – we're not to initiate violence against other people. Responsive force or responsive violence that is uh, in reaction to the violence that is being initiated against you is permitted – but initiating, being the first actor, the guy who throws the first punch, who is the, the first striker, that's what's wrong. So that's, that's sort of the, 
the real basic way of thinking about it. One other way is also to think about it as honoring the actions of your neighbor. Uh, or I saw a meme the other day that said, you know, I don't care what you do with your boat as long as it doesn't sink mine. Uh, <laughs> and so you, we could talk about it in terms of like actual technical terms about aggression and so forth. But Mary Ruart uh, in Healing Our World, she calls this like the good neighbor policy. Like we need to kind of treat our neighbors as if we wanted to be, you know, the way we want to be treated. But if we're using aggression as a means to our ends, then, you know, we're, our society is not going to be prosperous. It's not, it's it very, it's not even going to be civil. It's, yeah, defi- it's definitely not even going to be free. It's if that's even permitted. So, you know, there's a reap what you sow sort of aspect to this. Yeah. If, if aggression is just the, the rule rather than, you know, just something that's isolated and yeah, and the exception, then that's truly a chaotic world, a world in which might makes right, a world in which means justify ends, uh, a world in which it doesn't really matter what I do in order to get what I want. That's, that's a terrible thing. And it's something very antithetical to the way that a Christian is meant to act. That's really important to remember. I, I think it's also, you know, I love this idea of the good neighbor policy that Mary puts out there, uh, because when it comes down to it, most of the interactions that we have on a day-to-day basis, the overwhelming majority, uh, are initiated voluntarily and without any expectation or use of aggression. The overwhelming majority is like that. Yes, there are crimes that are committed on a daily basis, and sometimes we, we are the victims of those things. Hopefully, none of you do such things either. But most of our actions on a day-to-day basis are voluntary and have no aggression associated within them. The important insight of the non-aggression principle is to recognize that that behavior should be universal among humans and that there is no different standard of that type of morality when you don a uniform or have some extra position. Or if you were elected. Yeah, whether you're elected or you hold the bigger gun. I mean, any of these things you can think of, that doesn't matter. This is a moral standard for interaction that is to be upheld. And that's, I think, the key insight and what libertarians really try to put out there is that this type of behavior, how you and I interact on a daily basis of peace, peaceful interaction, is fundamentally at odds with that which the state does to accomplish anything at all says anything that the state does is going to have at its backdrop, at very least, the threat of force behind it. If only because it's, it is funded by taxation, which, which is expropriated from people at the point of a gun. And that's, uh, that's a real key insight to the way that libertarians think and why we believe what we believe. Now, the interesting thing here is how much that comports with the Christian way of things. Christians also believe that everybody is under the same moral law, that whether you're a king or a prince or a farmer or a peasant or a computer programmer or the, the highest of all life forms, the chemical engineers. <laughs> you're not biased at all about that, Norman, are you? Uh, you're not speaking out of the fact a, that you're a chemical engineer? No? Uh, not, not at all. Not, not at, at all. all. Okay, good. Just making uh, that clear. Just making sure. I know I'm inferior to you because I don't understand <laughs> chemistry at all. So... <laughs> But nonetheless, even chemical engineers are under the same moral law. And that's really the point, is that everybody has that. That's the way of Christ. That's the way the world was set up. So we see that this moral law that we kind of discern from natural law and this uh, the ethic of the non-aggression principle 
really jives well with the way that we think as Christians. In our previous episode, we expanded upon the statement that we believe that we have to understand things through a holistic view of Scripture. And one of the things that we got into was what do we find in Scripture that comports with a libertarian philosophy? And if you haven't listened to that episode, please go back and listen to it. But, you know, as we think about what the non-aggression principle is all about, you know, it's one of those things where it should be kind of a no-brainer. And I shouldn't I shouldn't really have to go to scripture to kind of defend it on the one hand, but it's often lost on people how aggression sort of hides in our culture by other names. You know, taxation could be one of them. You know, if you think about the process of taxation, you think, oh, well, taxation's voluntary. Oh, really? Is it? Try not paying. And then keep <laughs> extending that refusal to pay, refusal to quote unquote volunteer. And what will happen is you will be dead. Um, and so, and, and so hopefully prudence will, will, uh, <laughs> have you change your behavior. Uh, and so, uh, we don't, we don't encourage that of course. Uh, but just the, the logical concept of, of kind of thinking through that, but to get back to like, what does the scripture say and what do we see in scripture? You know, as Christians, we do look to scripture as a guide for how we are to live in the world. We are to look to Christ as our model of we, we look to Christ as the way. Um, and so when we look at Christ's ethics and even the ethics of the early church, building of the kingdom of God, which is our primary goal as Christians, uh, is through service rather than force. We, we've, impl- we've used Greg Boyd, uh, who wrote, uh, he's been a guest on our podcast. He wrote Myth of a Christian Nation, where he talks extensively about power under love rather than power over. And it's very important to understand the difference. You can make a case that there ought to be government or authority in some sense that has the right to do certain things, but you can't say that it's the same kind of presence that the kingdom of God advances by. It's not the same. It doesn't have the same operational uh, parameters. It is in, in many ways and almost always in opposition to the kingdom of God because it's through coercion and force rather than service and persuasion. As Christians, we serve others. We don't dominate. We don't dominate over them, including uh, becoming the majority so that we can have, you know, everybody else live by our moral legal code or something like that, which is what a lot of the Christian right often gets wrong. Um, So we can't use political force to compel ethical behavior because that doesn't change hearts. Maybe on the margins, it'll change a few because people just kind of go with the flow and kind of live on those behaviors. Like, oh, well, okay, with everybody else is obeying this law, it must be the right thing to do. But that's not the way that hearts are changed. And in fact, there's actually costs to imposing laws on people. And it really one of the costs of sort of uh, compelling ethical behavior or compelling moral behavior is that it antagonizes our struggle in the broader battle of sin, death, and evil. You know, if we are, as Christians, again, to be prophetic voices against the powers of darkness, if you believe in, whether you believe in Satan as a real being or as a metaphor, you know, or anywhere in between that spectrum, Christians are engaged in, the, in a battle. That is that is language that is used throughout the scripture. And to use political force to compel behavior antagonizes that and actually sort of like sides the other direction. You're not on the side of changing the world through love and service. You're actually using force, which is the uh, the power over method, which is antithetical to the kingdom of God. So when it comes to social change, when this is really what some of this comes down to, for many Christians, social change should, you know, a lot of people believe, a lot of Christians believe that social change ought to happen uh, through legislation. 
or through some legislation. Whether you're at that end of the spectrum where the Bible's legal code should be what we adopt or something like that to, oh, well, the major things like, you know, the government should be able to say who's allowed to get married or we need to have a, the, the proper abortion legislation because that's what's Christian or something like that. Anywhere on that particular spectrum, our goal as agents of change and advancing the kingdom of God is always with humility. It's never with violence. And doing so with violence just is it's going down the wrong path, if you will. Yeah, there's actually a passage uh, that's even worth noting here, not to try and, you know, we, we talked last uh, last week about uh, warning about taking things out of context, um, but hopefully this will not be so. <laughs> uh, you know, in Romans chapter three, in verse eight, it says, you know, why not say, as some slanderously claim that we say, let us do evil that good may result. Their condemnation is just. The point there is that even in the book of Romans, we see a condemnation of the idea that the ends justify the means. And thus, if we somehow say that, oh, well, it's okay to use aggression to, uh, to achieve a certain form of morality, uh, because that's what God wants, uh, is that certain form of morality. Therefore, it justifies the use of aggression to get there. Well, that ultimately shouldn't make any sense to us if we're, if we're really going to be consistent with the way we think as Christians, because we believe that it's not right to try and, and initiate violence against people in order to get even a good result. That ain't part of what we are. Uh, that's not right. And so we, we, we reject that and recognize that this is how the non-aggression principle is both evident in natural law and consistent with the way that Christians think about morality and our mission in this world. It's also part of our Christian journey to identify the, you know, in our, in our sort of you know, discipleship process as we learn to follow Christ even better as we as we mature, that we identify the things that we do unwittingly. You know, we could call it sins we commit or just, you know, flaws in our character, things that we kind of engage in and say, oh, I should kind of change those things. So with respect to the non-aggression principle, it's very possible that we can unwittingly be committing aggression and not really understand that we're part or complicit in doing so. So one of those things is engaging in politics in a certain way that puts us in sort of the aggressor's seat. And I don't want to make the claim that every engagement in politics is doing that. I'm not quite sure that's the best way to approach it. But to kind of think of it in, in a personal way, how is my political rhetoric promoting things that are aggression against others? And I don't even realize it. And so that would be that would be one thing for any Christian to do is to say, huh, well, I don't believe in aggression either. But on the other hand, we need the, the government to enforce X, Y, Z and all these other types of types of laws. Maybe that's inconsistent with my belief that I should not aggress against other people. And so starting with ourselves is is a, is a really good point. And one of those, of course, is, you know, th the way we vote, uh, the way we view things like foreign policy, immigration policy and things like that. And to some extent, a lot of those things are, argue, you know, just 
argumentative sort of uh, engagements. Like I argue with people over immigration, but I'm not in charge of what happens with immigrants. Uh, I don't have a say in in a way uh, as to what happens there. So one thing that's important for us to remember is that we need to be consistent. We think it's we think libertarianism is the most consistent expression of Christian political thought. And so to shore up all those ways that we're inconsistent. Oh, I believe in non-aggression, but wait a second, all these political uh, ideas are are in are in our you know mindset sometimes those things that are in our mindset ought to go <laughs> uh, and that's that's where we're here that's why the libertarian christian institute is here to show you the consistent way uh to to think about christian political thought yeah we're, we're seeking an ever-growing consistency in the way that we live consistently with christ uh that's right i mean right. that's that's really what we're getting at i i suppose in, in you know, when it comes down to it. Well, and by living correctly with Christ and walking with Christ, because we're all doing that, we walk better together. Absolutely. Yeah. Sounds like I'm saying a progressive creed, screed there right now, but that's, <laughs> it is true. <laughs> well, human flourishing is something that is intended to happen via right behavior. I, right. one of the, we, we sometimes harp on Ayn Rand uh, on the, on in our show and in our you know various ways and, and but she had some good insights and we recognize that and one of them uh, which is a great a great little quote is that the moral is the practical I think it's probably worthy of note here to just say look you know if we're if we are acting rightly together we will see a society that flourishes in its productivity and its prosperity and its ability to deal with uh, the degrading nature. Of, of this world, uh, that, you know, the, the, the sin that is, that is personal and it happens, uh, in our, in our, you know, daily lives, uh, with the conflicts that, uh, that can come up, that we have rational ways of resolving them without resorting to physical violence. All of these things can flow out of this non-aggression ethic as well. Uh, if we were recognizing that the initiation of violence is like the first way in which stuff goes off the rails. Yeah. So there, there's probably a big elephant in the room, if you can imagine that there's a room that Norman and I are in, which is not true because we're doing this over the internet. And it's elephant-sized. Yeah, that's very elephant-sized. Uh, that what does this mean about the concept of pacifism? Does it mean that a libertarian should should be, ought to be, or is, you know, if you're, if you're just kind of new to this libertarian thing, does that mean libertarians are pacifists? Uh, or does it mean, or are we claiming, would be more uh, the, the more direct question, does the Libertarian Christian Institute claim that Christians ought to be pacifists in order to be, you know, embodying uh, a, a consistent Christian ethic? Because we do say that a consistently Christian ethic always embodies non-aggression. Uh, Norman said earlier that we do talk that we do believe that self-defense is an appropriate response to those who have aggressed against us as an initiation of force or that it's justifiable. Yes, it's justifiable. It's not required. So let's just talk about that, uh, because I think, um, you know, we've talked about pacifism. We've had a few pacifists on our show, not necessarily to talk about it, but to uh, but they but they kind of, you know, get into it a little bit. And we respect a lot of people who would claim to be pacifists. So it is an important question for us to answer. And if you are a libertarian, if you've been a libertarian for a long time, you almost certainly have a huge respect for and adamantly 
defend the Second Amendment. And, and we want to wholeheartedly affirm that. Norman, what do you think of when you think of pacifism? I mean, there's a number of words that are kind of thrown around there. I mean, pacifist, pacifism, uh, you know, does it mean we're not ever allowed to do self-defense? Like, where do we kind of talk about this in a way that brings meaning to what does it mean to embody non-aggression as a Christian? Yeah, I think the reason that we respect the pacifist position is that it's kind of taking it's not required to do it, but they're taking this idea of not using violence to an almost an additional level. And we don't necessarily see that as justified, but we can respect the, the reasons for which they do it. Our instinct at, at LCI is going to be to respect the fact that self-defense is, uh, is justifiable in the face of force. And that's not gonna change. Um, but we kind of also inherently recognize that you know, the, way of, the way of Jesus, even in uh, very simple interactions, is, uh, is always meant to be peaceful. And to take that and, you know, to, a, to another level, it takes quite a lot of courage to do that. And I think we can respect it. Uh, there's things that we can learn from these people you know, who, who believe in such things. Um, but we're not there. Uh, we're not going to go there. Uh, we'll look at it. We'll examine it. We'll talk about it upon occasion. But that's not our primary you know, way of thinking about things. Just being opposed to the use of violence does not necessarily mean that you are going to be a pacifist. Uh, we recognize that. So I think that's just it's worthy of note here um, that we can we can be respectful, but not be of that. Something else that comes to mind is that there's an ethical question versus a legal question, you know, as we often talk about these things where uh, from a libertarian standpoint, we can say, well, we disagree with your values, but we don't agree that that should be illegal or something like that. And so someone who is a pacifist is usually coming from a standpoint of a Christian pacifist. Let me just qualify that. A Christian pacifist is usually coming from, hey, I'm looking at the ethics of Jesus. I'm building a theology out of that. And I we not only completely respect that, I'm pretty inclined to agree with them. What that doesn't imply, though, is that everybody else should be not allowed to use self-defense. That's an that in terms of the legal question. Is a Christian justified in self-defense or should they just literally turn the other cheek in the face of an aggressor? And that's kind of the question that it always comes down to when anybody gets into these kind of debates. And I, I just, the first thing I think about is this. Richard Rohr, he's a Catholic priest. He is a pacifist. And he was asked that direct question. And he said, the question was, you know, if you were to see someone about to be harmed and you had the ability to use force, even lethal force, to stop that from happening, Somebody from being from being raped, from being uh, children, from being uh, assaulted, something like that. He said, of course, you would have to do that. You have to look out for those who are about to become under attack. And so he would actually call himself a pacifist. Uh, and yeah, there are different ways that people even explain it in that respect. Correct. Correct. It's one thing to say, I'm not going to fight back. If that's your definition of pacifist, okay, fine. But it, it can go further than that. It can go further, and there are stories of you know people dying because they've been attacked, and they just believe that the ethic of Jesus is to never, ever, ever do anything other than turn the other cheek. And that is one example of what pacifism is. 
if you are not a pacifist and it kind of upsets you that other people can be pacifists and you're arguing with them, please don't assume that that's what they mean by it. Always find out because there are varying degrees of what people call pacifism. So I'm kind of, you know, kind of standing up for pacifists right now, but, but only to say that it's very important to understand what people mean by it when they talk about it. Because if all it means is, oh, I'm just not going to fight back because I'm a pacifist, well, that's one thing. It's another thing to say, well, if I'm about to see someone get hurt, I'm I'm a pacifist. I can't stop that from happening. Um, really? If a person is really committed to the ethic of Jesus, my guess is that their heart aches and they will find a way or will at least want to find a way to stop something evil or aggressive from happening. There's the ethical question of whether or not a Christian is allowed to do that. And you can come to that position in in a number of ways. I think there's I think there's room for being, you know, completely against it, allowing to do that. And I think there's there's evidence that in in scripture even that you can justly do that. What it doesn't mean, and this is an important distinction to make, retaliation is not the same thing as self-defense. For you to retaliate against somebody, that's a great point. Imagine the 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 quintessential scenario that someone has broken into your home, they have a gun, they're about to shoot your child or you, and you have a gun. What would you do? Well, if you're asking a pacifist this, my guess is they don't have a gun ready to shoot anyway, so I don't know why you're asking them that question. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, what are you going to do? Well, let's say there is a way in which they get away with something. Let's say they don't shoot your kid, but they take a whole bunch of your stuff that's valuable and then they get caught. <laughs> it's not retaliation is not is not in the question. Sorry, you, you don't get to do that. Self-defense is during the aggressing act. Uh, typically, I mean, again, we're going to these quintessential, you know, catch 22 kind of questions that people try to try to throw at people who are pacifists. So don't confuse retaliation and self-defense. It's they're very different. And self-defense is an in the moment kind of thing. And one more thing about, you know, pacifist view on guns. And one of the things that I will I will gladly say and admit that if there is a good guy with a gun in the scenario where there is a bad guy with a gun, that is your only chance of stopping it or one of your only chances. I, I believe that. But when people say that they are in favor of other measures to prevent gun violence, because, you know, recently this is a national this is a topic that's going on. Those people aren't asking the question, how do we stop it when it's happening? They want to keep it from getting to that point. So when you have these conversations with people who are talking about guns being a problem and all of that kind of stuff, get to the bottom of what they really want and and talk to them about that. Because my guess is that obviously if there were a cop nearby, they would admit that that cop is the only chance of stopping the violent aggressor. So that's a little bit far afield here because uh, in terms of our topic, but it's just important to ask people what they mean by when they call themselves a pacifist or anything for that matter. Well, and the question of retaliation is an interesting insight, especially from the pacifist in general, because it's very easy to kind of fall into the trap of, well, retaliation, if I get a chance to retaliate, that is retributive justice. And, uh, and that's fine. Uh, but that may not necessarily be the case. And so it's worthwhile to take a step back and observe the way that we think about things like retaliation in the context of self-defense and aggression. Uh, it's a contribution of the pacifists that should not be discounted. I'm glad you brought that up because what comes with that is the 
ever important notion of forgiveness and the power that forgiveness among individuals can yield a better result than retributive justice. You know, we can we can have a conversation in a future episode maybe about restorative versus retributive justice, but every Christian, if you are <laughs> if you are a Christian, you should at least have a basic grasp of the power of forgiveness, at the at least a basic gratitude of it. And so the power of forgiveness, and, and I realize that not everybody has had like moments of in, intense. Maybe the way to think about it here is, you know, especially the context of what we're talking about in violence, not to think about what the limits of forgiveness are, but think about just how far could it go? You know, kind of take it from the other direction. Yeah, and that's, a, right. that's perhaps maybe that'll give us an idea of what we can do with it. It's, it might give surprising results. Yeah, I think the results will will come because if we are embodying the ethic of Jesus and we are doing it in a way that may not always make sense from moment to moment, we will be vindicated over the long run because, I mean, you can be a utilitarian or an idealist in terms of like, why do we do what we do? But my goodness, I, I cannot... I don't think any Christian would deny that following Christ for whatever reason is going to yield fruit because that's why we're here. We are here to yield fruit. And so that actually brings us to the actual statement here, just kind of reframe this and, and wrap this episode up, is that the reason we believe that a free society a free and civil society depends on the respect for the non-aggression principle is because we know that the ethic of Christ, which is not aggressive in like the violence sense. Okay. That doesn't mean we can't have aggressive attitudes or be very forceful in our persuasion tactics or something like that. And to wait the way we argue, but we know that Christ demonstrated what it was like to forgive. He was the ultimate forgiver, if you will. And so that example that we see through Christ is a way that the church, a way that Christians can show the world that a free and civil society means respecting each other and loving each other and forgiving each other and not just resorting immediately to how do we retaliate? What gives me just, oh, look at this. This is this is my reason to retaliate because they did it first. Or, oh, well, they're doing bad things. And we need to make sure through the force of government uh, that those, bad, compa- things that those bad things aren't happening. And, oh, my goodness, they're getting away with those bad things. And my goodness, I'm living my good Christian life over here and those people aren't even being punished. Well, my goodness, this our society is just going to hell in a handbasket because everyone's allowed to get away with certain things. Well, if that's your view, if that's your view, you don't have a very high view of the power of love and of the power of the gospel. Um, And you have a very uh, impoverished imagination as to the power that living like Christ together in community as a church can actually affect change. And we remember, too, that vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Judgment belongs to him, ultimately. And that does not give us the right to just willy-nilly go around and hitting people for doing things that we don't approve of, and or hiring it out to other people who make it who it, to, right. to get it off our the blood off our hands because it's really not. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So, what do you think of uh, what do you think of our our statement here? Free and civil society depends on respect for the non-aggression principle. Write to us at podcast at libertarianchristians.com and stay tuned for. Libertarian Christian core value number three in our next episode. Thanks for listening. 
Thank you for listening to another episode of the Libertarian Christian Podcast. If you liked today's episode, we encourage you to rate us on Apple Podcasts to help expand our audience. If you want to reach out to us, email us at podcast at libertarianchristians.com. You can also reach us at LCI Official on Twitter. And of course, we are on Facebook and have an active group. You are welcome to join. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. The Libertarian Christian Podcast is a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute, a registered 501c3 nonprofit. The audio engineers were Doug Stewart and Jason Rink, and voiceovers were by Matthew Bellis and Caitlin Horn. If you'd like to find out more about the LCI, please visit us on the web at www.libertarianchristians.com. 